we need this medication to function. It helps us live. There's nothing wrong with having to take it every day if we need it. I think that's the stigma as well, which we need to fight back against. It's like, okay, you can take all this stuff for your physical health, but, you know, we just want to live healthily. There's nothing wrong with that. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Hello and Happy New Year! Before we get started, I want to take this opportunity to thank you sincerely for tuning into this podcast wherever you are listening from. And whether you are a brand new listener or if you've been along for this ride for a while now, it has been my absolute honor to accompany you on this self-exploration journey. Over the past few years, I've made it my mission to help neurodivergent women learn to love their brains and live a more fulfilling, gratifying life. In addition to bringing you this podcast each week, I've got some great things in store for you coming up in the weeks ahead. Not only do we have the Women and ADHD Book Club coming up, a virtual accountability and support group where we read and complete the workbook entries in A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD by Sari Solden and Michelle Frank. But I'm also pleased to announce that registration is now open for a new round of small group coaching. If you're looking for connection, support, and friendship with other incredible women with ADHD, while also developing a greater understanding of who you are and how to best work with your brain, head to womeninadhd.com slash group coaching to find out more and to register. Those groups are limited to six women each, and they fill up pretty fast. So for the book club, head to womeninadhd.com slash book club. And for small group coaching, you can head to womeninadhd.com slash group coaching. And of course, you'll find those links in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 118, in which I interview Priyanka Patel. Priyanka is a mental health pharmacist based in Manchester. She was diagnosed last year and now is working to raise awareness of ADHD among healthcare professionals and to help improve the assessment and diagnosis process in the UK. We talk all about her long and complicated road to an ADHD diagnosis after initially being diagnosed with depression. We also talk all about medication myths, the NHS, drug holidays, the pros and cons of TikTok for the ADHD community, and Priyanka's research project to help improve funding for women with ADHD. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me, Priyanka. I'm I'm super excited to hear your story. You were diagnosed relatively recently, but I feel like it was as a long journey to get there as it was for many of us. So, so why don't you walk me through your, when you got your diagnosis and, and what was happening in your life at the time that really led you to kind of, to connect the dots and think you should look into ADHD. Right. So I think I'm going to backtrack a little bit because uh, whenever I try and tell this story, I say something and I'm like, oh, wait, no, so this happened a few months ago. Oh, wait, no, this happened last year. So <laughs> let me start right from the beginning. Um, I, I feel like my whole childhood, teenage years, you know, I did have a lot of mental health uh, difficulties and self-esteem issues, problems. And it wasn't really something which I acknowledged because, you know, especially within my culture as well, because I'm, I'm Indian. 
uh, mental health isn't something which is really spoken about. And, um, you know, I had a lot of difficulties when I left uni. And then it was when I moved up to, to Manchester with my partner. And I feel when you become an adult and you have the adult responsibilities of, you know, bills and living and stupid things like having to put the bins out. And, you know, there's something called council tax here, which I didn't even realize we had to pay. So, you know, there's all these little things that we just can't cope with and find it really stressful. So I had a lot of things happen to me, unfortunately. You know, we, we got robbed. I lost my granddad. I, I had a diagnosis of endometriosis. I then lost uh, up to 50% on my hair with alopecia. I think I had a patch about this big. Yeah, it was it was horrific. And that was all because of the stress because I wasn't coping well. So I reached out to my GP who diagnosed me with depression because, of course, you know, as we all know, um, usually we go to our GPs with these sort of symptoms. And yeah, I had a diagnosis of depression for, I think it went for about a year uh, medication wasn't really helping. There was a, a small benefit, but I still knew something was going on because it just wasn't making sense. You know, I wasn't really depressed or sad anymore. I was just very frustrated and all over the place. So, you know, I was actually one of the people who saw a video on TikTok. I am a massive advocate for TikTok. I know there's a lot of controversy with it, but I do feel TikTok has, it is the reason as to why I have my diagnosis today and why things have just, you know, got done a 180 in a good way for me. So I saw a TikTok about the symptoms in women and I was just like, wow, this really resonates with me. This is really strange. And then I think what we all do, we just end up going on Google, you know, you know, looking for hours on end and just, you know, diagnosing ourselves and looking into all the symptoms. And, you know, I work in mental health myself. Uh, so I, I knew the diagnostic criteria and what to look for. So I was so sure I've been on the right track. And I brought it up to my my doctor who they were just like, no, you don't have ADHD. You know, you don't have ADHD. There's no way you do. Uh, let's try a different antidepressant. They switched me. Saw no help. Uh, saw another GP. Was met with the same, um, you know, they, they told me the same thing. Uh, I was going to therapy as well. I mentioned it during my therapy session, but it was kind of brushed over. And I felt a bit too stupid to mention it again. Um, so, you know, I think all these things that were happening, it was just really putting me down. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm just being dramatic. Maybe I really, I don't have ADHD. It's probably just me overthinking. But the more things were getting worse, I was like, no, I need to have an answer. Even if I don't have it, at least it can, I need to know if it's ruled out or not. So I went into my GP, literally all guns blazing. I was like, I am not leaving until you get me a referral done because I need answers. Like my life is spiraling out of control. You are switching me on so many medicines. Nothing is working. Like, you know, it's medical negligence if you don't do this. So luckily I managed to get a referral. We'll probably go into speaking about this, about the waiting times. But, you know, here in the UK, it's, um, it's horrific the best way to put it I think it's about two to three years at the moment just to get the initial questionnaire sent to you but unfortunately because my mental health was deteriorating significantly you know I had to leave my job uh, I had to move back home for a few months my relationships with my friends my partner everything was breaking down so uh, you know I was at risk of suicide as well so they managed to speed up my my diagnosis and you know when I got diagnosed it was you know, I think all of us go through the stages of grief. You know, we, we feel like really angry. We feel a bit betrayed. We, I can't even remember the five stages of grief, but I do remember reading it and was like, this really resonates with me. And then, yeah, so I got diagnosed and was put on medication. And you know what? My life has 
it's completely transformed since finding this out. And I feel every day, you know, when you have ADHD, you kind of learn more and more about it. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, this makes sense. And everything just starts to to piece together. And, you know, it's, it, it's really strange because it's like, wow, I've been dealing with this my whole life and I had no idea. And now everything seems to make sense and I can finally get on the right path and, you know, actually start to live a normal, and I say that in quotes, um, you know, life. Um, I just, I'm still waiting for ADHD coaching. I did have an initial session today uh, to kind of, I think they just told me what the coaching was about. Um, so I'm still going to be waiting for my next session, but I feel that will be the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I talk a lot on this podcast about, you know, the the self-diagnosis journey and and a lot of the clinical eye-rolling around TikTok and just social media in general and, right, all mm-hmm. of this, like, quote-unquote, misinformation that's out there and how people are diagnosing themselves based on a single TikTok video. But it's like, it just jumpstarts this profound journey of of self-diagnosis, right? And then, only then do you then, you know, go to your GP or start to look for an official diagnosis. Like, nobody has ever been... And like, oh, I saw one TikTok video about losing my keys and was like, oh, ADHD. Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, it, <laughs> you know, usually there's so much at stake that by the time you get to the doctor where you're like, I really feel like this has explained literally everything, you know, and, and just like you said, the de- depression diagnoses. The anxiety diagnoses, never feeling like they were the right fit, and then suddenly having this intense reaction to ADHD, and then and then you know so many women going to their doctor and the doctor saying, "Nah, I don't think that's it." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I know. Yeah. So it really, if I mean, it bothers me on two levels because I'm like, first of all, TikTok just by its very nature is all neurodivergence because we're like moths to a flame when it comes to that social media platform, right? I mean, it's the, yeah. the constant dopamine hits. Like, I'm like, of course it's all ADHD content because everybody on there has ADHD, <laughs> right? <laughs> the quick videos as well, you know, because we, we don't have good attention spans. So, you know, with TikTok, I mean, now they've increased it to three minutes and I will not vo- watch a video for three Same. minutes. But, I know. You know, but the fact that there was you know short videos on there it's like okay yeah look we like this oh next video next video you know it's exactly what what you've said like it it makes complete sense why there's a lot of that ADHD content on TikTok yeah well and I saw a mental health professional recently talking about the platform of TikTok and how you know our brains are not meant to follow video after video where it's like something funny something sad something profound something weird It's like our brains are not built to follow that. And I was like, my brain is 100% (laughs) built to follow that. I was like, this is like the best thing that's ever happened. So that's why I'm like, I still feel like pretty much every, you know, obviously not everybody, but I feel like the reason why ADHD is talked about so much on a platform like TikTok feels self-evident because that's how we all end up on a platform like TikTok. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I certainly am am very frustrated and annoyed by the gigantic eye roll that is coming from the medical community, that not only the medical community but the mental health clinician community of just like everybody thinks they have ADHD, which just feels so profoundly unhelpful. Which is you know, and I've heard you talk about this in the past too. Uh, not only on your TikTok videos, but in other um, interviews of just like, you know, the reason it's not trendy, right? Like this is the reason why so many people are seeking a diagnosis right now is because we're finding this out for the first time about ourselves in this profound way. And it's so meaningful. And 
I liken it to something I heard on John Oliver recently, which I don't know if you follow that show, but uh, he was talking about, it was, he was actually talking about non-binary and, and the idea of like, oh, everybody's non-binary nowadays and the same kind of eye roll to this trend. And, you know, he was using the example of left-handedness and how when teachers stopped forcing children to become right-handed in kindergarten and in primary school, like once they stopped doing that, the the cases of left-handedness skyrocketed because people were allowed to be left-handed. And he's like, it's the same thing with non-binary. And I was like, and I like to extrapolate and say it's the same thing with ADHD, right? We do this with everything, don't we? Like, (laughs) relate everything to ADHD. Yeah. (laughs) But still, it's just this idea of like, now that people understand what it's like and, or what it even looks like and how much it has affected them over the course of their life. Yes, of course, people are making the, connecting the dots and and seeking a diagnosis. (sighs) Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm exactly the same. I'm sitting here, like my face is getting hot because I'm just like, this whole topic just makes me so angry. Like, you know, I I want to go back to my GP and just like kick down their doors and just like, look, I told you, like, you were wrong. You were wrong. You should have listened to me. And it's just the whole concept of this ignorance. Like, I do feel that there are some GPs who do listen, you know, and do understand. But it's the, like you said, I do not understand why they are so skeptical when it comes to TikTok because, you know, I'm a medical professional. I'm a pharmacist. I share content on TikTok in regards to ADHD. If someone went to a doctor's appointment based on one of my videos, where's the difference between, you know, having to speak to me in person rather than seeing something on social media? And, you know, if someone has ADHD themselves, you know, they're sharing their own experiences and you might relate. And we can get these ideas about diagnosis in our head from all sorts of things. It was not just social media. So why do they think social media is such, you know, a bad thing? And, you know, it's just it's horrible to kind of, you know, mock in a way these patients who are coming for help, especially when, you know, when we have ADHD, it takes a lot of gut to even go to your doctor about this kind of stuff. You know, we don't have great self-esteem and we don't have a lot of motivation. So to actually just even get to the doctor is a big thing for us. So, you know, even if they don't think we're right, just, you know, let us find out. And as a healthcare professional, don't dismiss us, don't mock us. You know, you're meant to be there to help us and care for us. Yeah, I know. Right. Curiosity. Like what? Just have some curiosity. And and like you said, listen to the to the patient's lived experience is another thing I think is so important, too. Right. It's, it's that is so much more important in terms of the next step than whatever you're learning on the DSM. And also, you know, I, I understand the concern from a cl- clinician point of view, which is like, well, maybe it's not ADHD. Get a professional opinion, look into it. Yes, all of those things. However, if it's not ADHD, what is it in that situation? Because if the default is, well, it's just depression or it's just anxiety, then it's like, no, we've been over this, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I, I heard a lecture recently by William Dodson, who's a who's a, a psych- psychologist and uh, actually a psychiatrist in the US. And he was just talking about how like, of all the thousands of patients he's seen with ADHD, a precursor in almost everyone was a combined diagnosis of depression and anxiety, to the point where he could actually predict that if that combination of of diagnosis, you know, it's almost guaranteed that you probably have ADHD just from that alone, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Yeah. that makes a lot of Mm -hmm. sense. But anyway, um, so now you had mentioned, okay, two things you had mentioned I want to go back to, which was, you know, your your GP initially saying you don't have ADHD, that it was just depression. What do you think the GP was, you know, we talk a lot about that, um, 
the the depression diagnosis and and doctors saying like well you went to school you did well you're bright like all of these kind of stereotypes of what a person with ADHD isn't is that what you were experiencing yeah so i think it was definitely a mix of that because i mean if if you just take a look at look at me even based on paper you know i would say that i'm you know i'm successful i have you know i'm i'm a clinical pharmacist you know I, I own a house. I have a stable relationship. You know, my health is good. I'm a woman. You know, you look at all these things and I do not fit the typical stereotype of someone who has ADHD. So I feel when it was something that was brought up, even my friends and family were skeptical because th- this also goes back to the stereotype of what people think ADHD is. Even the word ADHD just sounds childish. You know, I don't think it's a great way to describe this condition um, as well. I do think they need to review it because we don't have a deficit of attention. We just can't regulate it in the right way. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it was to do with that. And also, you know, just just stigma as well, because I just don't think there is great awareness, even in the, the medical professional, where you would expect it to be for them to actually understand, you know, how these symptoms show, particularly in women. You know, it's very difficult for women. I'm, you know, I've done a lot of research into this and, you know, there's so much which, you know, we have to deal with in terms of the fact that we show different symptoms where we're more likely to show the inattentive symptoms. And because we want to try and fit into societal standards, we mask our symptoms, you know, so people don't even see it if we have these symptoms. Um, you know, and there's so many things which are, which affect us in terms of like, you know, hormonal changes and you know, just the expectations of being a woman. And I think all of this combined together just make it so difficult for us to get the acknowledgement, get a diagnosis. Um, but I feel like because my symptoms appeared to be depressive symptoms, you know, there's a lot of overlap between depression, anxiety, ADHD. Um, and GPs, they are skill, more skilled to diagnose depression and anxiety. They're not specialists with ADHD. So it's not something they usually would even think about. Um, so, you know, if you see a, a woman who's you know, lacking motivation to get to work, who's tired all the time, you know, who seems a bit forgetful, who seems really tired, you know, you're going to think, oh, she probably has depression. You're never going to think, oh, she might have ADHD because it's not within their speciality. But this is where the issue is like, okay, if it's not in your speciality, why are you not potentially just considering it? Like have an awareness of what the symptoms are and get a referral done. So at least she knows. Um, so yeah, that, that's my take of when it, when it comes to, to GPs and and ADHD, particularly with women. Right. And and I also feel like from my own personal experience, because I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety starting in university and then just on for years and years. Um, But, you know, I always felt like, you know, get curious about what is causing the depression and anxiety too, because I think also there's a tendency to look at depression uh, in, in a vacuum that it's like, well, you just have depression, like you caught the flu. And, you know, that there isn't a really, there isn't much curiosity into what's causing it. And I think one of the things I hear in my experience, and one of the things I hear with a lot of the women I talk to who were also diagnosed with depression is that feeling of being broken, is that feeling of being a disappointment, right? Is that feeling of confusion, which is like, I feel like I am an intelligent person, but I can't, you know, do well on tests, right? Or like all of these ways in which we had that, right? That feeling like everybody got the manual but me and that I'm just kind of doing life wrong. Like there's a very specific type of sadness or confusion that leads to the depression. And I've often talked about this, like as a, as a wife, as a mother, like I felt like I was disappointing everybody in my life. Oh my God. I know that's right. And, and, and I think that was the first time I really understood that about depression um, or, or, or 
why so many of us were so depressed with ADHD is that feeling of like being out of control, feeling like my actions weren't really um, aligning with my intentions, right? And so all of that, then of course, is going to lead to depression, right? You're like, I feel like a shit human. (laughs) So, So, right? And, and, but at the same time, like it's, those seem like such obvious precursors to me when it comes to like the ADHD experience and, and the anxiety and the depression. Whereas, uh, you know, with talking to a doctor, I just was like, I'm sad. And they're like, here's your medication. And that was it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think there's, there's two aspects when it comes to anxiety and depression. So you've either got the misdiagnosis, which is what I was talking about, because, you know, the overlap of symptoms, but then you've got, the comorbidity, which basically is a, you know, you, I think people with ADHD do have diagnosed depression, but that stems from the undiagnosed ADHD. But then, you know, when we go to our GP, because these are the issues we'll go to it, they'll then just prescribe, they'll then diagnose us just with the, the depression without realizing we're depressed because we have ADHD that's not controlled. Like, you know, this, this is where the, where the issue lies and why there's just so much confusion, I think. Right. And they'll diagnose what they're comfortable with, what they have training in, which is depression and anxiety. Nobody has the training with ADHD, so they, they don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I recently started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I was honestly tired of juggling multiple supplements, researching which companies were the best, and trying to remember to take them all throughout the day. I had heard great things about AG1, and I've been really pleased. I found it to be a simple and easy way to take care of my nutritional needs, and it tastes great. I take AG1 on an empty stomach before my first meal of the day, and I find it gives me a fantastic boost of energy. It's become a really seamless habit to adopt and it couldn't be easier. It's just one scoop of powder mixed with water. And I love knowing that these are high quality ingredients and that I'm getting the probiotics and the vitamins and minerals I need for my gut health and brain health. This one drink now replaces most of my other daily supplements. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash women ADHD. That's athleticgreens.com com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. Check it out today and start feeling your best. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month.
During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy to access, self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Now, the other thing is you had talked about the grief, right? And it was funny because I actually, after I was diagnosed, I wrote like a seven stages of an ADHD diagnosis, very similar to the, the stages of grief, because I felt like there was that first, there's the denial of like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't have ADHD. ADHD <laughs> is for boys. And then the like, huh, these TikTok videos are feeling really relatable. So there's the curiosity. And then there's the elation of like, oh my God, the more I learn, the more this explains everything. And this feeling of like, oh my, I'm not stupid. I'm not lazy. Like all of these things, that these beliefs you had about yourself, just feeling so much hope. But then the next stage is the grief, right? Which was the, and you you had mentioned that like this, the, the more I think about it, the more I realize, wow, I was really struggling and the signs were there all along, but nobody saw them. Or if they saw them, they didn't know how to help or or didn't want to help. Right. And so now I know you had talked about that. Well, I guess my question is, when you look back at your childhood, were the signs there all along? What were some of the signs that you see where you're like, oh, clearly the signs were there all along? And then also you had, I think, mentioned in one of your interviews that you had when you went back and were talking to your parents about it, your mom had suspected it when you were a kid, but it really didn't kind of want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I am still so shocked that it's not something that my parents considered because I want to tell you a really funny story, which if anyone heard this story about a child, I don't understand why they would not think this child needed to be obsessed, assessed. Sorry. So my mum was pregnant with my sister at the time. Um, I was about two years old. She wasn't feeling very well. So, you know, she said to two-year-old me, I'm going to take a nap. I've left your food on the kitchen table. I've put your TV show on, you know, just sit here. I'll be down in, 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 you know, in half an hour. And she told me that when she came down, my food had been thrown all over the floor. The, the bowl had been broken. For some reason, I don't know why the chairs were on the floor as well. I've thrown my toys all over the room. Um, the video cassette was out. I don't even know how I did that as a two-year-old. Um, and I was running around naked. I'd taken my nappy off and I'd just thrown it. Um, and I was like, mom, was this my childhood every day? And she said, yes. And I was like, first of all, how did you just not throw me in a bin? Because how do you deal with a child like that? Second of all, why did you not think that there was something going on? Like, this is just not, you know, in my opinion, I don't think that's normal child behavior. I mean, I could be wrong because I'm not, I'm not a mother. So I have no idea. But, you know, she said that it was down to a few things. So first of all, you know, I was their first born child. So 
they didn't they didn't know what a normal you know or a neurotypical child would be like so they just thought okay well children are a bit crazy so you know this is probably just what a normal two-year-old is like but then also she just you know she did not want me on medication uh and this is another thing which I've spoken about as well is you know about the stigma of medicating children um you know which I completely get you know as a mother these you know these drugs they're control drugs you know they, they have a lot of regulations they've got a lot of monitoring you know serious side effects so I do completely get it but if your child is this is struggling this much you know to to the point that you know it's just you know they're going to grow up to really struggle especially in adulthood because ADHD doesn't go away you don't grow out of it you know why would you not want to do something to help the child and then you've also got um the cultural stigma which I've you know I can't even remember if I mentioned that at the start of this podcast (laughs) I feel like I might have said it but I can't remember um but yeah so I don't think my parents wanted the label of a child with ADHD because you know, then the parents get blamed. And particularly with our culture, you know, it's like, you need to discipline your child, you got to smack her around, you know, get the rolling pin, beat her, you know, just beat some sense into her, discipline her. That's the kind of attitude that, you know, is within our culture. So, you know, if my parents then went and, you know, told family members, oh, yeah, she's been diagnosed with ADHD, they're like, oh, it's your fault. You don't discipline her. You don't, you feed her too much sugar. You know, you let her watch too much TV. So, um, I feel like a lot of these things all combined was the reason as to why I was was never assessed. And because, you know, I'm, you know, I wouldn't have expected my parents to even be aware of the symptoms in adulthood of women. But, you know, if they had been aware of what would happen as I grew up, they might have been able to help me whilst I was, you know, going through puberty or get, you know, at uni. But unfortunately, none of that happened. And, you know, this then relates back to, to the grief because, you know, it, I feel like once you get diagnosed, it you slowly, like you said, look back at everything. And it's just, you know, you just feel so betrayed because it's like, why? Why was I not given help? Why was I struggling this much? It was so, so unfair and so unnecessary when I could have had a, a happier childhood. I could have had an easier time at uni, you know. Um, a lot of things which have happened to me in my life have been actually due to my undiagnosed ADHD. It, it, it's all connecting. So, you know, it is, it is really frustrating. And I'm, I'm trying to get over that anger because I, I always say that anger harms you more than anyone. Uh, I feel because when you have ADHD, you, you can't stand injustice. You know, we are very, I don't even know what the word is, but we like to fight for what's right. So when something isn't right, we, we get really riled up and we get really angry. So, I think this anger is something which is quite difficult to let go of, but I'm slowly getting there. (laughs) Well, yeah, those are the next phases. So after grief is the resentment of like we were talking about that idea of like, how did nobody see this? The light, you know, thinking about the life I could have lived, a lot of that. And then the next, the sixth stage is understanding. So it's like, okay, I did the best I could. Now I realize like, I actually am not smart. You know, I'm actually quite intelligent. I'm a very hard worker. I starting to see all of the positives about my ADHD brain, some of the things that were amazing. And then the final phase is advocacy, right? Like you were saying, like, I am riled up and this needs to change. <laughs> and I am going to change the system, which I feel like you were very quick. Like, I'm like, you got, you check all those boxes. <laughs> Cause as soon as you, right. As soon as you're diagnosed, you were just like, all right, this, this really ridiculous we're gonna I'm gonna fight the system (laughs) (laughs) literally like all guns blazing like you know um there was um there's a really good cartoon character which I was gonna 
mentioned but it's you know what it's gonna come to me when I'm doing something stupid like washing up a plate or something but you know what yeah I wanted to say something but now I've forgotten (laughs) (laughs) so anyway carry on it might come to me it might not (laughs) Um, well, okay. Well, let's talk about the advocacy part then, because, you know, uh, yeah, I, I've had a lot of, uh, UK guests. So I have talked a lot about the NHS and the wait times, but you were also mentioning that. So a GP does not ever diagnose, right? A GP refers to then who diagnoses in the UK, who, who will diagnose you in the UK? There's clinics. Yeah. So we have the primary care in the UK, which is basically where a patient will initially go to. So that will be you know, community pharmacies, um, you know, the doctors, the, the GPs, and then you have secondary care. And this is where it's split up into specialist services, anything. So physical health, mental health, anything. So you will go to your GP with a problem. If it's something that they can help with, they can solve, they'll, they'll obviously do it. But if it's something that's a bit more specialist and the GP's done everything they can, they will then refer you on. So this is what happens when you get an ADHD diagnosis in the UK. So a GP won't give you a diagnosis. They will just refer you. So I don't think many people in the UK are actually aware of a pathway called the right to choose. I don't know if there's something which is in the US or or Canada, but um, so basically, uh, you know, we pay NI tax, which is a tax to fund the NHS system. So, you know, this isn't all all free. I, I really wish it was, but unfortunately it's not. So we do pay, you know, for all of this within our tax. And we actually have the right to choose where we want to be referred to, where we want to be treated. But because many GPs, many patients aren't aware of this, you know, all the GPs just refer to, to, to the one place that they know, the one place that's under the NHS within their area. They'll send all the patients there. But there are certain private companies who have commissioning from the NHS. So the NHS do, they, they pay them, they fund them to say, okay, we'll give you a certain amount of funding to see NHS patients. And GPs aren't aware that they can actually send patients and refer them to some of these private clinics who actually help with the NHS. Um, and then doing it that way, you won't have a long wait time as, as much as if you were under the, the, you know, the typical NHS services. But now it's come to the point that even those services are getting overwhelmed. Um, and there is one service, uh, Psychiatry UK, who morally I respect so, so much. They say that they don't think it's right for someone who has paid to get seen faster than someone who hasn't paid. Because at the end of the day, we're all suffering, you know. So they say that the wait time is going to be the same, for regardless of if you're being transferred by the NHS or if you're going to be a paying client. Um, so some of the private services through Right to Choose are just not accepting referrals anymore because they just don't have the capacity. So this is the current situation within the NHS right now. It, it is a hot mess. Um, and it's really, it's really saddening because, you know, I've been in that position where you're in limbo and you're waiting for an assessment. And these ADHD clinics, I'm sorry, some of them are so useless. Like they will not tell you when they're going to send you the questionnaires. They'll just say, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And then when they send you the questionnaires, they'll be like, okay, you've got two weeks. Fill them out in two weeks. If you don't get them back to us within two weeks, you're off the you're off the list. And I'm just like, how could you give a more un- unfriendly ADHD approach to someone with ADHD? You know, like these questionnaires are long. I had to sit down with my my parents, you know, with my partner because I could not do them by myself. And that's you know, with body doubling, that's something which really works for me. You, I physically need to have someone there. So, you know, I do not think that these ADH clinics are sometimes ADHD friendly, which is just weird. It, it works against us. 
um so yeah that's how that's how we get um our diagnosis and you know i think a lot of people are unfortunately having to go down the private route now um with some of the companies that don't take right to choose um and it can be really costly it can you know be up to about two thousand pounds to include the diagnosis the titration medication follow-up all of that um it's just yeah it's just a it's very unfair i think for us we just don't I don't know why the NHS don't put enough funding in ADHD services. Um, but yeah, this is something which, you know, I really want to work on and I really want to change because, you know, it's just morally, it's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so what have you been launching? You've been doing a research campaign or what? Yeah. So, so uh, my NHS trust, which I work for, they have um, a research department. So I've always wanted to do research and then, it was like a light bulb moment when I was just like, hmm, what do I want to do it? And I was just like, ADHD, ADHD in women. Oh my God, I can do something. I can do something. So I, you know, I was, I went off on a tangent, sent an email and, you know, I was just like, please listen to my idea. I think it is amazing. Um, so they did hear me out and, you know, I did re- receive some really positive feedback from them, but because I'm just getting into the research field, um, because I work in secondary care as well, I have to do work based in secondary care initially, and then I can do the issues with access, which is where my passion lies, because I just don't feel women, they have so many barriers when it comes to accessing these services in the first place. Um, And it's due to a lot of things, you know, from GPs to stigma to, you know, the misdiagnosed symptoms to masking to society expectations, so many things. So from my end, I'm going to try and work on secondary services initially. So this relates to the ADHD services itself, which is still going to be really beneficial. So, you know, long waiting times, full follow up, you know, issues with prescribing. These are the kind of things which I'm going to hopefully be working on. But it is a very going to be a very long process. We're, we're impatient people. So it wasn't nice to hear that. I was just like, I want to do it now. Just give me the money. Just let me tell people about all of this. But no, you have to get approved funding. You have to do all this ethics. Like you have to, you know, get all these people on board. Like there was a lot, a lot to take in. Like that meeting was, you know, I, I needed to just step outside the air after that because there was just so much information being bombarded at me. So I'm in the process of currently applying for a research internship. And uh, I'm going to try and make this sound not too complicated because I don't want to bore you or the people who are listening. So basically, I'm going to be using this internship to do a scoping review, which basically kind of summarizes and pulls together all the research and evidence about ADHD services in the UK. Um, So I will be seeing what the issues are right now, what has been found, what has been done. And then this will help hopefully then lead me to find out, okay, what are the specific problems within our NHS ADHD services? What can be done? And then that will lead me, I'm going to apply to a pre-doctoral fellowship to then do um, a qualitative study in which I do surveys, questionnaires, send them out to the appropriate people like the GPs, ADHD clinics, late diagnosed uh, ADHD women to kind of see, um, you know, what their views are on this, what their opinions are on this. Um, and then my plan is to do a PhD, uh, do, a, do a whole project, do an intervention, you know, for example, uh, implementing some mandatory training uh, for GP surgeries in, you know, in a small area and, you know, trialing it, seeing how it's go, seeing how it goes, comparing their knowledge before and after the training and then seeing how many patients do they end up referring? How many of them do they rule out ADHD potentially before? Um, you know, there's so many things which which can be done. 
Um, and at the moment within my trust, one of the ADHD services is unfortunately um, under review at the moment. So they're not accepting new referrals, which has caused a lot of chaos. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when this happened, I, as soon as I, I swear, every time I hear ADHD at work, I'm just like, mm, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so when as soon as I heard that, I was like, right, OK, I've got something to say about this. So I was telling them about the right to choose. And then I contacted my uh, chief of pharmacist lead uh, to see what's being done, because, you know, the plan is to potentially implement some new ADHD services within our trust. And if that's going to happen, I am going to be the person to help set that up. Like, I am not taking no for an answer. You're going to listen to me. You're going to do things right. You know, we're going to make sure that if an ADHD clinic is set up within our trust, I will make sure that it is done properly. And, you know, I want to try and utilize more practitioners as well, because, you know, the waiting times are ridiculous. And it's because there's not enough prescribers. Uh, you know, they use nurses and they use psychiatrists. Is it is it similar in, in the U.S.? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's the, yeah, you know, you, we also have telehealth too, which I'm not sure how that's happening in the UK, but that's just been an exploding industry too, Of, but it's mostly psychologists and psychiatrists who are, who are doing the bulk of the diagnosing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I want to try and figure out a way to utilize more healthcare professionals, particularly people like myself. Like I'm a pharmacist, I'm an expert in medication. Why are you not training us up? to help with diagnosing, helping us with prescribing, you know, like we are there to help uh, doctors and consultants understand how the drugs work in the body. So why are they not utilizing us with helping with titration? You know, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, that's my plan. Next year, I'm going to be starting um, my prescribing course. Fingers crossed, you know, uh, I'm going to hopefully get some funding within my trust and then become a prescriber. And then hopefully, you know, then become a titration prescriber for an ADHD clinic. I have spoken to some uh, some companies who are, are open to the idea of having a pharmacist prescriber. And, you know, I feel if I'm one of the rare ones who actually do this, it could lead opportunities to say, look, this works. Pharmacists are going to be very good at helping with ADHD if they're trained up appropriately. So, you know, there's work to be done there. I mean, there's so much. I feel like I have to sit down and write it all because in my head is like, what's that meme of Charlie Day? When he's got that board and he's got like all the, you know, all the, you know, things. That... I, I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's literally me. Anytime I talk about, you know, my, the work that I'm trying to do with ADSC services, because there's, there's so much that I want to do. There's so much that can be done. And it's just, you know, trying to figure out the, mo the most successful way and the most realistic way to get this done. Because I went in this head on, like, really unrealistically, like, okay, I'm going to get this money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, but yeah, and uh, I'm also going to be involved. Uh, so I've asked, so I work for the crisis teams within my NHS trust. So we work with patients who unfortunately have, um, you know, have tried to commit suicide or in mental health crisis. And, you know, we work with getting them to the right places if they need a hospital bed, if they need long-term community treatment. And, you know, I feel like as a pharmacist, there's a lot of training to be done in that team in terms of medicine. So <laughs> the ADHD advocate in me was like, oh, let's, Let's, let's add a bit of ADHD in there. Let's, let's throw a little bit in there. So I was like to my line manager, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be preparing all the training about the, the medicine. So I was like, I'm going to add ADHD in. Like, I, I'm just letting you know. I don't, you know, you, you might say yes, you might say no, but I really want to add it in because I think it's super important. So, you know, within my trust, within this particular cohort, I'm going to be educating these people on, you know, what to potentially look out for if they're reviewing these patients. You know, if there's a patient in crisis and they go, you, go to their homes, 
uh, you know, and their, their, their antidepressants aren't working, you know, they're, they're in financial crisis, you know, they uh, might have taken their license off them from speeding and this and that, you know, look out for these little things and see if there's even a hint and then refer, just refer them all, <laughs> refer them like, you know, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, there's, there's a lot I'm working on. Um, I'm trying my best to not burn out. But I think like, you know, when you get so focused and so determined on something, we literally put everything into it. Like my my boyfriend is so sick of me. Like I swear every single day I'm like ADHD, ADHD, ADHD. And he just rolls his eyes now when I mention it because he's like, I get it. I get it. You love it. You have it. ADHD is alive. <laughs> but we're just so passionate about wanting, you know, to make changes and do something. So, yeah. But, um... uh, my husband's in the same boat. I feel like we need a support group for the partners of people with ADHD who have to listen to us talk about it oh all the time. Oh my god! That, you know what? That is that is that is really good. I really do think that there's there's love that could be, you know. Oh my god! What's the word? You know, the, the word's gone. I've forgotten the word. Uh. Um, no, I know I had the same experience with, um, becoming a, a therapist too. Right. Which is like, I had so, I've had so many women who really just desperately need the right therapy myself included. I mean, I feel like I was very lucky. My therapist was diagnosed with ADHD and then she had me diagnosed because she saw all the signs in me. Right. And, but I feel like so many women have the opposite experience where their, their therapists are, are treating them for depression and anxiety and not seeing, not making those connections that are so important. And so I was yeah. like, you know, and I've kept, and people kept asking me, you know, do you know of any therapists who really understand the adult diagnosis experience in women who have, especially women who have been, who have been previously diagnosed with these other comorbidities? And I was like, I can't, I don't know of any, like they just don't yeah. exist. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become a therapist. And then, so I'm like, in, I'm getting certified. I'm back doing my master's now. And I'm like, it's driving okay. me crazy that this is going to take me at least three to six years. And I'm like, I, I don't have time. Like, we want it now. Just let us do it all now. Like, why does everything take time? Like, why do we have to do things properly and carefully and buy the books? Like, let's do what we want like <laughs> right i know but but one thing that's been really i've been grateful for is you know when they first told me that i was gonna have to do three thousand hours of supervised work i was like ah are you kidding me three thousand hours like it was it was torture but i also am really appreciative of the fact that i can bring this perspective like you said like into maybe substance abuse clinics or you know some of the or like prison populations or any of these populations that have a huge amount or have huge populations of, of undiagnosed ADHD, very likely, right? And like being able to bring that, like you said, bring that perspective, bring that awareness, being able to look for those signs that might get overlooked, I think is so important for any, you know, any field that we end up in, having this knowledge is going to be so helpful and, and yeah, um, being able to connect those dots, which I think ADHD brains are really good at. Prison and, you know, addiction, you know, those two things you've mentioned, it's, you know, it's, it's huge there. Like there have been studies done and research being done looking into prisons because you know it makes sense when you're impulsive and like you know you don't really think about what you're doing and it's, it's you're more likely to commit offenses without even realizing like you know I've been caught speeding you know and I got fines and, and everything for that and you know that's something very minor but you know I have been in trouble with the law technically I think everyone with ADHD has so it's you know it's no wonder um, these these things happen and like you know especially if you're impulsive and you do certain things in, in the heat of the moment you know you just can't control that impulsion particularly when it's emotions as well like 
you know, let's, I don't know, let's take a crime of passion or something. Someone with ADHD is more likely to commit that than, you know, a neurotypical. And it, it just makes sense. And then people with ADHD are more prone to addiction as well, because we just need that constant hit of dopamine. And, you know, we just get that one little taster and that's it. You know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a dark road for us. So I think it's very important what you're doing to bring awareness as well to those two aspects. You know, it's it's very, very important work needs to be done there for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know where I'll end up. I, I, I'd love to, you know, <laughs> initially when I first started, I was like, well, I'm going to have a private practice and I'm going to work with women who are exactly like me. And now I'm realizing I'm like, oh, no, there's so many options out there. Who knows where my ADHD brain will take me in the next few yeah, years. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Like, you know, that's I'm exactly the same because, you know, I'm like, I have no idea where all of this stuff is going to take me. It's like, oh, maybe I wanted to do this. Maybe I wanted to do that. And it's like, there's so many things going on in your head and you're just like, I don't know what's going to be right for me. So I've just got the mentality, okay, just take each day as it comes. Everything will fall into place the way that it, it's meant to be. And, you know, you will be doing something which, you know, you're good at and you will enjoy. Um, I, That's what I take with life anyway. Like the things you enjoy at, you're going to be really good at but with us. With us, you know, neurodivergent, if we're good at something, we are really good at it and we can excel with those things. Like that's one, I think that's one of the biggest strengths of having ADHD is, you know, we can really be good at our hobbies and strengths. Like it's just, it's insane what we're capable of. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one -on -one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womenandadhd.com slash coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns. 
the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With GoHenry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Now, I was curious, too, because I also want to, I feel like I want to ask you about medication, too, given the fact that I'm like, I don't always get to sit down with a pharmacist. So, um, <laughs> you know, the um, the medication stigma here is real. Um, and I think also the it's expensive. Like I was saying before we started recording, right? It's so crazy. Oh, my so, God. Like, uh, that, Yeah. <laughs> Well, and not only well, and not only that, but my insurance company will only won't have generics because they're not as rigorously. I I assume they won't deal with generics because they're not held to the same rigor. Is that true? Does that sound right? Mm, I wouldn't say so. No. So basically, in this category, just in this category, not in all categories, but just in the category of of stimulants. I mean, my view is I wouldn't assume so because, you know, what happens is when a branded product comes out, you know, they have the patent for a certain amount of time. And then when that patent is over, you can make generic forms of it. And this was this is with all medication. You have generic forms of all controlled drugs from painkillers to stimulants. And um, I think those are the two, really, which are in, you know, controlled schedule twos um, with the same stimulants. And I don't think that they're clinically there isn't as much difference but the thing is with with the patented brands particularly with something like Concerta they have a very unique release profile which is patented to that brand and that's where I think sometimes um, the confusion can can come when it with generic products as well so it I guess it does depend on the type of medication you're on the, the way it's you know, the formulation of it, is it slow release, is it immediate release, you know, to make sure that the bioavailability in the body is going to be the same. And then, you know, you've got, then you've got excipients as well, the things which are added into it to, you know, form the tablet or capsule itself, you know, is, are we going to have a reaction to that compared to the the branded one, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things to consider. But I mean, from my experience, and my own opinion, I do, I don't think that there is much difference, but it does depend on why that is a patented brand like why you know what makes it unique that product that it's got that branding that patent uh, is it something that can be replicated safely and clinically um so yeah i guess there's a you know it's, it's a bit ambiguous yeah. yeah um now what are your thoughts on drug holidays because that's another sort of controversial topic with stimulants which is you know so many doctors that say oh don't do them on the weekends and you shouldn't oh you know don't get addicted to them and right and I'm like well are you addicted to like blood pressure medication if you take yeah. it every day this this is literally what it is so you know we get we think okay we have to take this every day 
oh, I don't want to rely on it. Oh, I'm going to become addicted to it. But then again, like you've just said, if you have to take medication to keep your blood pressure at check, why don't people turn a turn a eye to that? Like, you know, they turn a blind eye to that, sorry. You know, it's normal. But with us, it's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't rely on that. Like, that's not good. And it's just like, oh, come on. Like, you know, this helps us function. You know, what you can do easily. You know, you can just go see some dishes in the sink, wash them up, and that's it. Like, you know, for us, we sit there in chronic stress for about a week knowing we've got these dishes to wash up and we just cannot do it. And then we just, you know, we, we think about it every single day. Our mind is just constantly. And, you know, that's just one little example. And it's like, if we take something to make the quality of our life better, why do people, why are people so judgmental about it? And I think that comes with everything to do with mental health. And I know ADHD specifically isn't a mental health condition. It's, you know, um, to do with the, with the brain essentially but I think it still is very similar and you know it goes down to stigma as well and you know I there is little or no risk to addiction with these drugs if you are using them as directed as long as you are taking them properly as long as you are not misusing them you know I, I've, I've read some stuff about people you know crushing the, the, the long release tablet so they can get like a really quick high uh, I don't even know if that's a thing but you know I, I know people were doing that with um Oxycontin. I don't know if you saw the documentary um, on on Disney Plus. It was uh, I can't remember what it was called, but that's how people were abusing that drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah all of one. the Purdue. Yeah. yeah, there's different. There's been a. There were a whole bunch of them. Yeah, um, yeah right. So and yeah, yeah, it's and I think true. that's probably why it got the stigma of of being a controlled substance and being abused, and people are so afraid of it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's true. Like you said, there's so many stereotypes about what the dysfunction is around ADHD. So people are assuming that it's like, oh, well, you're only you're making excuses. And you could if you if you really wanted to do the dishes or, you know, any of these things that your executive <laughs> function that you're struggling with, if you really wanted to, you would. Right. So there's like it come. It, oh, I think it comes down to like what it is specifically that we struggle with and where the prejudice is or the, the misogyny or the stereo, you know, all of these sort of cultural stereotypes yeah, exactly. that are involved in what we're struggling. So it's so nuanced. Um, but I think it's yeah. why this medication versus, um, you know, yeah, uh, like blood pressure to- medication oh. is why it's so different. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to add on because you mentioned something about drug holidays and my prescriber told me the same thing because she was like, um, yeah, so, you know, you're, you're going to be constantly doing things. You need to you need to rest. So don't try not to take it on the weekends. You know, once you, you're titrated up to your dose. I tried that. And oh, my God, like I have never been so irritable in my life. The thing is what I don't know if the prescribers know this. I assume they would is, you know, once when you start taking this medication that the natural way dopamine is produced in your body it's like oh there's a medication doing that I don't need to do that anymore so you know the natural dopamine releases isn't going to be as high as it normally was for you I mean it wasn't even high to begin with so you know anything that was there it's not really going to be there anymore because the medication is taking over and then once you stop that medication you know the dopamine release that was normally there is like oh wait what's happening do do we need to start off again like I'm not prepared I'm not prepared I've not got any dopamine for you like I'm so so sorry and you end up end up in a in a dopamine crash essentially like you know withdrawal that's literally what it is it's a withdrawal um and you know I have found that when I I've forgotten to take my medication sometimes like you know very typical of you know us ADHDers you know 
forgetfulness is very, very typical. I've had to make some serious interventions to make sure that I don't do that. But um, so the day I, I missed it, like, you know, I was so irritable. I remember I was flying back from holiday. Our flight was delayed. There were kids running around. It was hot. There was a fly. And I could just focus on that fly. It was buzzing everywhere. It was doing my head in. I was hungry. Like, I was so uncomfortable. I was ready to kill, I'm telling you. Um, and then when I finally got home and I took my medication the next day, I still felt really bad. Like, I just felt really out of it. And it's just, you know what? It's because our bodies are not used to not having that level of dopamine. And some people might take this as a bad thing because they're like, oh, you're addicted to it. Like, you know, you rely on it and this and that. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's exactly the same to any sort of medication where you need to withdraw off. It doesn't make it unsafe. It just means that you need to get your body used to it. So, you know, if you want to take drug holidays, it does depend as well on the type of formulation. Because if you're on a long acting one, it's going to be very, very difficult to just stop it one day. Because, you know, it all takes time to come in and out of the system. Short acting ones, um, I think might be a little bit easier to take a, ho- a holiday off. But, um, you know, you need to withdraw down because, you know, like with school holidays, if, you know, the, the child wants to just go have fun, you know, without, you know, feeling that they, you know, have to behave at school, essentially. Like, I do understand the logic behind it. Um, so I guess it does it does make sense. But at the same time, it's like we need this medication to function. It helps us live. There's nothing wrong with having to take it every day if we need it. I think that's the stigma as well, which we need to fight back against. It's like, okay, you can take all this stuff for your physical health, but we need some of this to make sure that we don't go crazy. That What's wrong with that? You know, right. we just want to live healthily. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I, th- I just think it needs a rebrand. If we, if it was remarketed <laughs> as like, this is productivity and <laughs> medication, and this will help your workers like sit at their desk from nine to five, and this is going to help people be cogs in the capitalist machinery, then I think it would get a much better, you know, it just needs a new PR campaign. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I hear a lot about when it comes to drug vacations is that like, you can get used to the, um, dosage and so you have to take holidays so that you can then have it meaningful like otherwise you have to keep increasing the dosage so you should take holidays so that your body doesn't get used to it so that it still has impact is there any truth to that so there is a little bit I, I do actually want to look into this more because it is something which I'm you know I'm intrigued about because you know I guess with all kinds of medication you can become tolerant to it because uh you know your body gets used to that dose and then it's not doing as much anymore so you know don't quote me on this I don't know too much about this but I do think that there is an aspect of needing to take some sort of break um you know after you've been having it for a long time um so the NHS they follow something called nice guidance and this is a, you know, healthcare advice, which, you know, all professionals should be following when, you know, treating, monitoring, prescribing. And it does say that if you are using this medication for more than a year to review with your doctor, if you still need it. Um, so I don't know, potentially they withdraw you off it. They try and see if, you know, that there've been ways for you to manage it with, with the coaching or lifestyle interventions. And, you know, I mean, people do manage their ADHD without medication. Like, you know, there are a lot of people who do that, but you know, for some of us, we, we do need it. And if we do need it lifelong, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I am curious to see about the, the tolerance, um, because I have, have a feeling that might be some, a small aspect to that, um, and it will be very interesting because, you know, that can make it quite difficult 
to maintain medication, maintain doses, if that's, you know, if that actually happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you. I've, I I always feel like I have so many questions about medication, but when it comes down to it, I'm like, when I when I actually get a chance to research it, I'm like, I don't know what I don't know where to start. So. <laughs> send send me a DM right? anytime you want if you if you've got questions. Like this is this is what I've been trained to to learn about is like how drugs work in the body. So you know, if you've got anything you want to know, just let me know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, we're, I have so many questions, but I, I'm going to keep for the sake of the brevity of this uh, interview, I want to move on. Um, so I like to ask my guests if you could rename ADHD to something else. Do oh, you have sorry, another my, name? My ring light just fell. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I was moving because my leg was cramp- cramping up and now it's all, my whole really unprofessional setup has just come apart. Okay. <laughs> I'm literally balancing my laptop on a Dyson air wrap <laughs> and I've got a ring light which is balancing on like the, the what's it the little legs oh yeah it. tripod it's, yeah, yeah I love and it. it's like it's literally like leaving air about to <laughs> sorry what did you ask <laughs> so if you could rename ADHD to something else would you call it something else do you have another another name for it oh that's a pretty good question actually oh gosh I can't Think of something, but hmm, I can't think of anything specific. But I think it would have to be centered about how we don't have a deficit of attention. We do have attention. We just don't put it on the right things that we are meant to. So I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I wouldn't even name it as a disorder, first mm-hmm. of all, as well, because I feel like that can make it quite negative. Um, I would like to put some kind of, you know, neurodiversity sort of label on it as well so I want to have a think about that actually because that's it that's a really good question yeah I know I ask it I, I love getting the responses but I also like I don't have the perfect answer either so that's why I ask everybody else on crowdsourcing because I'm like I don't know there's so many aspects to it right even just or the emotional aspect too which I think most women especially come to their ADHD diagnosis from relating to the emotional stuff the shame the you know the the stigma the depression so it's like None of the emotional stuff is even listed in the DSM. Or- uh, you know, that's the thing which they, they're they looking to potentially do, because that's another part of my reason. Oh, oh, my gosh. Dopamine deficient divas yeah. for women. Oh, my <laughs> God. Sorry, that just came to my head. You know, I think that's quite a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I was saying, yes, because they, they are looking to potentially add the emotional symptoms into that because the emotional liability is insane. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm just thinking about times where it affected me. But you know, I do think that the emotional aspect to ADHD is not looked into enough or, you know, particularly with women, because we just get, you know, labeled as these sort of like hormonal erratic creatures who cry and, you know, get stressed at every little inconvenience. And, you know, so when we go to these, these our doctors with these emotional thoughts and feelings, um, we just aren't taken seriously, even if it is to do with ADHD. Uh, but that's a, that's a whole other topic when it comes to women and, you know, their symptoms are ready to fight every doctor out there about this. Right. Well, <laughs> one thing I, especially the hyperactivity element, because I think that that actually is a deterrent for many women because they don't think of themselves as hyperactive at all because so much of the hyperactivity is internalized. And I heard the term hyper arousal recently as a much better 
term for the H in turn, you know, and I just think it's so perfectly sums up that experience of like being dismissed as overdramatic, like you said, right? Like we feel things so much stronger, oh God, right? That, yeah. Right. But it's <laughs> so I think the hyper arousal speaks to not only the busy brain and the overthinking and all of that craziness, but the rumination, like I think it, I, I feel like hyper arousal encompasses so much of my experience with hyperactivity than the term hyperactivity but anyway yeah yeah would you say sensory overstimulation as well would be tied into that at all i don't know if you you experience that as well it's a good, it's a really fascinating field to look at neurodivergence in terms of like the you know the types of brains and how we're reacting to our environment and why we are getting ADHD symptoms as a result of the reactions that we're having to our environments and and you know a pandemic and some of the craziness that has been happening over the last few years that so many yeah. of, has exacerbated so many of our ADHD symptoms so yeah it's super fascinating um it's why i've been talking about it every week for 2 years counting <laughs> Yeah, no, I like... completely agree with you. Like, I feel I was looking at the autism criteria as well, and I was just like, "Oh God, like I'm not, I'm not doing this again to myself, am I?" <laughs> because I do think there is a, a very huge overlap, and I do feel they they can come hand in hand with each other. So, you know, it, it's not surprising if people are, are diagnosed with, you know, both. Um, you know, I don't like to say the word disorder, but you know, both conditions because you know it, it completely makes sense. Right. Yeah. yeah, I know. And I'm really not sure where one begins and the other ends. And I, I don't know if you could even decide. Um, but it is I, I like to. Right. <laughs> uh, but I do feel like there's a lot of stuff about autism that I feel very called out. You know, or or especially on Twitter, I feel like there's a lot of people on Twitter who would be like, when you're talking about ADHD, they're like, no, you're actually talking about autism when you're talking about that stuff. And I was like, uh, am I like? And then I would have to go into these deep dives as to whether or not I'm actually autistic, and uh, and then yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's constant. Um, but anyway, I I really want to make sure people can find you and help you because it sounds like you are doing such incredible work and with this research and um, are you getting help and how, you know, can especially other mental health professionals, like how can people reach out to you and find you and, and support you? Uh, yeah, so my Instagram and TikTok handle, handle, sorry, is the same. So it's little miss underscore ADHD underscore. I had to get a bit creative because the name I wanted was taken by what it looks like a spam account which just makes it even worse but <laughs> so yeah I use um those two platforms because uh I like to I want to especially um Instagram I make posts about um you know things which I've researched about and found out and you know I want I just want to educate people about ADHD as well because there's loads of great pages out there which kind of it's, it's good for awareness to understand you know how it impacts us but I think it's also really interesting and useful to know the, the sort of the, like the science behind it as well. And I, I feel as a as a pharmacist, I have some great um, insight on onto you know the medication aspect of it. So you know I'm preparing my next post actually. Uh, it's part of my ADHD science series. Um, so I'm going to be splitting up each of the different medications and you know kind of explaining them all in detail because you know I feel a lot of people have questions when it when it comes to medicine. So uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll be posting regular updates about my my research journey and everything. But um, it is going to be a very long process, which I know none of us like to hear. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I appreciate 
any support um you know if anyone I, I'm all my messages are always open like there's there's women who message me all the time for support like there's a few women who unfortunately are quite lonely and you know they just don't have someone who understands them so you know it's I, I like to be that voice for someone because I didn't have anyone when I was dealing with all of this so if I can be that person for someone I, I'm more than happy to and I've, I always put this out there as well I always say if you need help with getting your GB to listen to to you just just let me know contact me I will even be on speakerphone with you at your appointment because you know I know how hard it can be and I have so much like anger and passion about all of this like I will put your GP in place trust me so um yeah I think sorry I think I went off on a on a tangent there um (laughs) that reminds me that's a really great job for somebody who's who's wants to be an advocate is like you know how they have like responsible adults in in um interrogation rooms in the UK (laughs) you can be the responsible (laughs) adult in a a doctor's office uh, especially with a diagnosis because I've joked about that in the past where I'm like if you find this entire process of the the diagnosis the making appointments having to go sit in a waiting room then you know going over time like all of the things that are incredibly stressful about going to even visit a doctor for anything um then you might want to look into ADHD. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's you know what's pretty... really funny about this is like, I don't know about you, but I feel we're the kind of people we can't do this for ourselves. But when it comes to someone else, like if someone needs me to bring a doctor for them or help them clean their house or do some papers, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'll help you and I'll be really good at it. But when it comes to me, I'm just like, no, I've literally been sitting in a pile of dirty laundry for about a month. Um, I know I've just helped you do literally your whole house, but I just cannot do mine. It's really weird to explain. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Well, it's all about where the dopamine is. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been really delightful. And I appreciate your perspective on so many things, too. Not only um, your the cultural Indian background. I don't get a lot of Indian guests. And I know it's, you know, because... There is a lot of stigma. I think it's also, I didn't even get to talk yeah. to you about your, I know you had said some wonderful things about how your father reacted to. And, um, oh, he's my so, hero. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, my life, really. So I did make a little TikTok about that. So, uh, like, you know, it's on my page if anyone wants to get it. <laughs> right. I do. I highly recommend it because I think it's so wonderful that to, to know that your parents have been so supportive because I know that's not everybody's experience. But, yeah, um, yeah that is a, a, a journey in itself, right? Is educating yeah, <laughs> our family. Um, but yeah, well, anyway, it's been so wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciated your time. Sorry. Thank you so much for having me as well. Like this, you know, it means a lot to be given a platform to be able to speak about these things. Um, you know, it's, it's really empowering to also come across other people who are so like-minded and who really understand um you know because I feel like we've you know we can it can be really lonely and you know when you find your people you're like oh my god like this is just so nice and to be able to be you know speak to someone like like yourself who you know you've done amazing things and you're doing really well at what you do as well it's you know it's uh it's, it's amazing so thank you honestly well, I think oh, it is it is so validating, right? And I always say talking to another ADHD woman feels like un, unbuttoning a too tight pair of pants. <laughs> it just feels like so co- it just feels like, oh, my God, this is so comfortable. Um, we speak a different language. But I also feel like 
you know, that rage, that that desire, that justice mentality that so many of us have, I think can be really difficult because it makes us want to quit if we're not seeing change immediately. So I feel like when we have these conversations and I think of how many people, how much more this is spreading um, exponentially every year and how much more information is out there, this is a huge ship that needs to be steered and turned around. And we are doing it, right? <laughs> off the port, just... All of us just need to give it a massive kick, you know, right. punch it, just push it off the floor. Like, you know, we need to get this rolling now. It's been long enough. Right. But I feel like I feel like it is happening slowly but surely that we are affecting change. If we kind of step back and take a macro look at how much is changing and how many people are advocating and, and putting information out there. And like I was yeah. diagnosed because, you know, I feel like it's like those those shampoo commercials from the 80s of like she told two friends and she told two friends and then she told two <laughs> friends right i'm like oh my god that's yeah that's a great analogy right yeah. it does it does feel like we are even though it's agonizingly slow it does feel like we we can kind of really change the system one one day at a time yeah definitely it was it is it's always difficult trying to make changes in society and you know you're always going to be met with skeptics you know, even when you feel like you've reached a peak of something good, you know, I guarantee you there's people out there who still don't believe, you know, cancer is real, uh, you know, even though there's been so much research and studies and, you know, in therapies and all of that, like, it's just, it is life. But I think it, it makes us feel good knowing that we are doing something to make a positive change. And yeah, that's, that's all that I want, really. It's like, even if I help just one woman, you know, that's, I will die a happy woman. I, I really will. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I think that too. It's like, um, you know, if if one woman, if I can save one woman from going through what I went through, I, I feel like it will have all been worth uh, it. You just so, want to wrap yeah. them in bubble wrap and just be like, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, I've got you, I'll help you, don't worry uh, about it. Like, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. It's been absolutely lovely. Thank you as well. All right. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one -on -one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.